Hello, and welcome to episode 82 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, January 20th, 2022. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? Pretty good. Did you did you have to think about 2022 still? A little bit. Well, and then there was the January 20th. Right. So I think February will be even more confusing, although I don't think we're recording on the 20th, so because it'll be 0220. I know. We should record on Tuesday, <laughs> the think... 2nd of February in 2022. Oh, okay. Yeah, we could do At that. At 222. Yep. Maybe. Just... Maybe that's a thought. <laughs> Just so you could confuse me even more. It's like the only numbers I care about. Basically Two? that and Pi Day. No, okay. just like, you know, random numerical occasions. Yeah. Occasions for yeah. numbers. We're just straightforward here on this podcast. We're all about today. words, really. Not so yes. much the numbers. Exactly. And maybe that's the Yes, that's, that's what the it crux. is. <laughs> We're liberal arts majors. Happy Thursday. <laughs> we have made it. And so we will have on the needles, on the easel, on the table, and on the nightstand. Uh, yeah, so on needles. I've been in sort of a weird knitting slump. Um, I think it's post-Christmas knitting and post-New Year new knitting excitement. And what I still have is a whole lot of projects that have a lot of slogging left in them. So I still have both my sweaters. I did pick up the newspaper pullover by Hohi Locatelli, and I am almost done with the first sleeve. You remember last time I think I had just started the first sleeve. So I made it through most of it. I have about 12 more rows and then the cuff, and then I can start the second sleeve. But it's just, you know, brioche, brioche, brioche. So I will get there. I will get there. And if I sit down and think about it, yes, I want this sweater this so that I can wear it. Then I get a little more excited, but the idea of eight o'clock at night, sitting down and doing brioche in the pitch, darkness. Pitch black. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> is... Um, not as exciting as one one might expect. Yeah. So, no, but I do want that sweater and I have other things that I want to work on. So I, I feel like I need to just to pick it up and start knitting. And I'm usually pretty happy and it's very meditative. And I feel very accomplished because um, I'm holding the yarn in, in both hands. And yeah, so we'll, we will get there someday. I think, and I think I worked on Simon's hide and peak sweater as well a little bit. I'm almost done with the body. I should probably have him try it on and see like how long he wants it. Because um, I feel like mine, it said, you know, knit to however many inches. And I think I just did that and it felt a little bit long. So I do want to see like how long he wants it. Because I don't think he wants a super tunic length sweater. <laughs> so yeah. not not a look my husband prefers. So we need to do that. And then those will still have the sleeves. So, And I, ha- I don't have a really good TV show either. And a lot of times I do that knitting while watching TV because it's just mindless stockinette knitting. So if I have something else going on, then then I need that. Yeah. So that's kind of what is holding me back. But I did knit a baby sweater. I finished that up. It's the Anchors shirt by Petite Knit. And I used Knit Pick Stroll Tweed in Barn Door Heather, which is this really kind of cranberry-ish red, I would say, with little tweedy bits. Super cute. The baby was just born in January, which is still this month, right? (laughs) Oh my gosh, time. So I thought, well, I'll make the one-year size. I think it's actually a one to two years. So then they can wear it next winter because there's not... I mean, there's still a few months of winter left, but... And like infants grow so so fast. Yeah, so fast. If memory serves. Yeah, I think so. It's (laughs) been a while. And also you get so much like little baby stuff that I... And then you... It's... They're one years old and you have to buy all their things. And you're like, what's going on? Why do I not have free clothing anymore? (laughs) So I thought that would be nice. And then they could wear it the whole season. And, you know, so I started knitting it and it looked really big, really, really big. And it could 100% have been my gauge. I also have no idea what the size of a one-year-old is anymore. And I don't currently know any one-year-olds that I can measure it against. It just felt really giant. And it was one to two, so I guess maybe it could have been yeah. the right size. But it just felt like too much that they would get it. It would maybe fit their two-year-old at this point. It just didn't feel like a really thoughtful gift yeah. to a certain extent. Like, here, hold on to this for two yeah. years. Yeah, and, and then you have to remember where it is. Oh, my gosh, no. That that just felt crazy. So I ripped it all out, 
It's like, all right, I'm knitting the one to three month size. I still have no idea if it's going to fit. It looks pretty tiny, but it's... babies are really tiny. So we shall see. I don't know. It looks cute. Hopefully it will fit them for a hot second. <laughs> it's a, it's it's a yoke so sweater. It's so thoughtful. <laughs> I try. It I really just... is. I mean, the handmade stuff is just magic. It's too, fa- it's too bad they grow so fast. It is important. And then they're giant. And you're like, no way I'm knitting for you. You're too big. Right. But the Anger sweater, this is, and this is also the one Courtney's going to have her own. And as soon as I choose a yarn, oh. that's what I'll do. I will buy yarn for my Anchor sweater at Stitches. <gasps> oh, that's oh a my good gosh. Project. And for that shawl that I want to make yeah. that I can never remember the name of with all the parts and pieces. Yes. And I need like five. Not many skeins. I need five skeins of. Yeah, and then I'm super excited can, there's now. Probably kits and stuff. People will put together kits at stitches. And... I didn't realize the potential of shopping there. I <laughs> I was planning I to go to sketches. Think about how awesome a yarn convention could be. Could I find yarn there? I don't know. I was gonna sketch the whole time. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I was to gonna shop. sketch people like walking around and knitting and sketch different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. You're going to be there for four days, so probably there will be time for sketching as well. Yeah, I will. I might skip out for a day and go to the art museum up yeah. there. Oh, and you have classes and things as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my my fancy <laughs> blindfolded brioche yes. riding on a donkey in the right <laughs> dark at night. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so often the case with us. No idea or at what's least going with on. Me. I, was, I was being kind. I'm whimsical. <laughs> Sometimes. Anyway, <laughs> anchor sweater. It's yoke sweater. And each of the the levels of the yoke are one by one rib. As you increase, it sort of offsets them a little bit so you can see the different rows of ribbing. And it looks very cool. Then the rest of it is just plain stockinette. And you have the option to do a folded hem, which I just couldn't. I couldn't. Where you... You knit and then you... Uh, oh, double it back. And... Yeah. And then sew it together. And my brain thought that more ribbing for the hem would be easier than sewing. And it did, in fact, work out that way for me. Your mileage might vary. I did look at some of the examples and I did think that the folded hem looked much sharper. But I still mm. didn't care that much. <laughs> like, okay. Oh, I'm doing ribbing. So that is done. And then... I had to go into my button box to find a little button for the neck because it has a nice opening at the back because babies have giant heads and you want to make sure you can get the sweater over them. So yeah, so I found a really nice, it's very just icy blue flat button because presumably the baby will be lying down and you don't want something with like a hooky thing. Yeah, I forget. At the back. Yeah, the hasp or something. Yeah, or any kind of um, protruding button. Yes, (laughs) we don't, we don't want to disturb them. Um, so yeah, so, I, so now I have to go to the post office because we haven't invented, you know, transporting like in Star Trek yet. Right. Need to get on that, people. But that is done. So that that was good. And then and then I was back to all my like slogging knitting. I did also pull out my Helix Cal by Andrea Rangel, which is a two-color patterned one. It's black is one of my colors. Quoth the Raven, which is such a great color name. And then Impressionist Best Friend, which is kind of a white background with mostly blue speckles and then it transforms into mostly pink speckles. I forget what was, something was happening. My family was all doing something in one room and I went and sat in the other room and I needed something to knit. And I was like, well, this one I understand. I can just pull it out and do two or three rows. And that's kind of exactly what I did. So that I'm making minuscule progress on that as well. And then I decided, well, what if I start a new project? Maybe that will get me excited. I had a kit that, or I guess it's a mini skein set that I bought in Alaska. So in 20, oh, yeah. 2019, so a while ago, to make a hat, the Riley Rose hat by Jennifer Lassonde. And it's just, you know, been sitting there and not happening. And I decided, well, let me pull that out. So I wound up all the yarn. It's got three different shades of pink and a gray and a yellow and kind of mapped out what I wanted to do cast it on, started knitting in the round, in two by two ribbing, realized I'd made a Mobius, gave a big <laughs> sigh, ripped it out, cast on again, started knitting, realized that I'd done another Mobius, 
<sighs> so there's a big twist again, again. So I had to pull it out and I realized, okay, casting on again in the dark while watching TV, maybe not the best choice. Yeah. So yesterday in the daylight, I cast on, spent like 20 minutes making sure it was all untangled. And I think this time I've actually done it right. So, whew. Although, again, I really, it's like 28 rounds of ribbing. So just beginning with the slog. So maybe maybe that'll be helpful. We will see. But the yarn is really pretty. I love the colors. It's from Fisher Girl Yarns in Ketchikan. And the color the group colorway is Sockeye Spawning. It's got oh, all the pinks and the grades. Yeah. So I think it'll be nice. The pattern was designed for using mini skeins. And yeah, so I just have to kind of remember what my plan is and just get going on that. Okay. Because there's, there's knitting and so many patterns to be to be knit once I finish those sweaters. I thought of you. Yes. This Thank is you. a little bit of a story. Okay. Allie Edwards, who mm. is like um, a memory-keeping guru, she posted her mother's December Daily album in her YouTube, and I'll ha- we'll have a link to that. For anybody who's done any of this kind of memory-keeping, this was just super delightful to see her. I have a lot of thoughts about her mom's stories, and it was just an awesome album. But it made me think of your gnomes, because one of the things that her mom did was a lot of cross-stitching, like while she was waiting for her kids at soccer practice or swimming or whatever. And she has this huge collection of Christmas Santas that she has cross-stitched. And so she photographed each one and then like has a little narrative about the pattern and when she Mm. like roughly when she did it and it made me think you give a lot of your gnomes away and I know that you photograph them generally for Ravelry but it would be really cool if you put together a, a book you know for your family like I'm giving you work. I'm sorry. I don't mean to make it sound like that, but no. it would be so cool to have a book of like book of gnomes of gnomes, yeah. all the gnomes that you've made over the years because they are so cute. I don't have that many of them yet. This is only the third Christmas that I've made gnomes. Well, third for my aunt and second for my mom. So we're only at five. So it'd be a very short book so far. Okay, so maybe, but it's something to think about. Yes, as you mind. move into your gnome collection yes i will keep that in mind <laughs> okay and yeah i do have the pictures so we're all anyway good. um so yeah so that's all my knitting lots of imaginary knitting happening in my head things that'll happen next but um yeah i feel i feel i feel more excited about my knitting now like yes i have these great projects they do want to actually wear not just knit sort of two different experiences there's the process and the product so what is on the easel? I did a little bit of sewing this week as oh. I recovered from my booster shot because mm. I wasn't quite ready to jump back into my paintings. I have two pair of pants in the wings, and I decided to finish one of them, which are my everyday... They are so awesome. Ponty pant. Yep. And I like them because they are warm. The fabric is awesome. And they're pretty easy to make, even though I did make two mistakes on these. I like to kind of have a uniform because I'm not great in the morning and I just want to like get up and going. And my whole plan this year is to get into the studio earlier because if I linger around and do house chores and meal plan and oh, I need to run that errand. The next thing I know, it's two o'clock and I've only got a half hour before I get my kids or what have you. And so I'm trying to speed up my morning so that my most alert awake time is in the studio. And having a kind of a uniform helps me with that because other, I just, I don't want to think about it. So I finished up the Ponty Pants. I made a mistake. I sewed the waistband inside out, which was a real pain because I surged around and like Mm. taking out stitches is a pain anyway, but taking out four layers of surged stitches is much trickier. 
And so I decided to embrace it and I took it down. And like while I was watching a show, I spent an hour taking oh. out all of these stitches, which is like, it's like ripping it's like out. like tinking. Yeah. And then I sewed the pockets incorrectly. They still work. <laughs> they still function as right? pockets, but they're, you know what? They're asymmetrical. <laughs> There we go. It's a design feature. One has a point and one has a curve. And, and as I said, no one should be looking at that area anyway. And it's especially on the black. Well, yeah, it's nearly invisible. I know it's there, and I can feel it when I put my hand in the pocket. Mm. But I'm embracing the charm. They're handmade, and other other than that, I don't think you can tell. So. That's what's been happening on my sewing needles. And then on the easel, I am much happier to report that my plans feel more solid, more doable this episode than they did the last episode. For the school. For your self-school. Yeah. I think I was just feeling like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And I, I, I was still unsure and... And I think it helped to sort of settle into a good morning routine and and make a schedule for myself. And I'm not talking like from 10.45 to 11.38, I shall paint. And I'm not like that. I am much more fluid about my schedule, if you will. But I am trying to keep myself in the studio in the mornings or get myself up there because it's... For me, it's a contagious environment, and once I start creating, then it's really easy for me to keep on keeping on. And so I'm working on some landscapes, and I'm working really big, which feels awesome. And last night when I sat down to do a little, a smaller sketch, it felt so confining, and I loved that feeling, like, wow, (laughs) I... I feel better having more canvas to work with. Mm -hmm. So that was a great sort of feeling of growth, I guess, you know, that Mm -hmm. I don't normally feel. Because even if I feel like even when you did the abstracts on big and that wasn't working for you, you still liked the smaller ones coming from that. And so it's interesting that doing a different kind of big work has really... I I still don't know what the landscape or the abstract work yielded, but it shifted something. And maybe it was just the comfortability of working on a bigger sheet of paper. It's not like I've painted anything yet that I love. I had a semi-successful painting a couple days ago. This week's so far is, te- is a terrible mess, but I am experimenting with something and that feels kind of exciting in its own way. I also want to do some still life painting and I have reorganized the studio a little bit so that there is a still life setup on my left and then the easel in the center and my palette and paints are on my right because I'm right-handed. And when I was sitting there setting everything up and I gave the paint tube, uh, I'm using a soft body acrylic right now. I'm basically using what I have. And I gave it a really good shake and I it didn't come out of the tube. And so I squeezed it really hard. And that paint went everywhere. Oh. I mean, I have a I have a white, I, for no good reason, have a white carpet in the studio because I don't really care if it gets paint on it. You like it's, to live dangerously, yeah, apparently. Yeah, totally. Somehow, there is no green paint on this carpet. What? It went everywhere else. All over my sweater, all over my pants, all over the painting. It it flung across the room eight feet away and got like a splatter. <laughs> like the trajectory was so fierce <laughs> that it just, it just went everywhere. And then I thought to myself, I had plans to make myself an apron yeah. <laughs> for this and I still haven't done that. So that may work its way to the top of my to-do list. Yes, I am painting, so landscapes and still lifes. I I am joining the, there's a little group on Instagram called the Landscape Art Club. They put up a prompt, a landscape prompt that anybody can paint from and join in. And that is really fun to try and work out 
the problem the problem of the of each landscape and then there's another group called still here still life which is a much bigger group and they post a, a still life weekly that people can draw from i like to find my own source images when possible because there's generally something about a landscape that excites me and that's what i want to paint but i also think it's good to work from other sources because it makes it makes you work out problems that you might avoid if you're choosing your own all the time that feels that feels good to me so that i'm sketching a lot and then painting big and i'm not sharing too much of it yet but i hope to get into a better pattern of it soon and then the new schedule has helped too so that's what's on the easel cool all right on the table so apparently it is veganary, veganuary, veganuary, something like that. Vegan January, celebrating all things vegan. We are not vegan, but often they are helpful recipe ideas. The yarn harlot Stephanie Pearl McPhee is vegan, her family is. So she has been posting recipes, menus that her family has been having this month to, you know, like if you're trying to eat less meat, that kind of thing, experimenting with being vegan, whatever, to just give people some ideas. So anyway, I've been finding it helpful. And she posted one that looked really interesting. Well, she's posted a couple. I have tried one of them so far. So I thought I would talk about that because I know a lot of people follow her on Instagram and read her blog and whatnot, at least in the knitting world, probably. <laughs> Other people don't. So the first one was called Buddha's Jewels. And I guess it's originally from an old moosewood kitchen oh. cookbook recipe. Yeah, so very... I know, have that cookbook. Yeah, original kind of hippie crunchy granola business. And this version, the one I use, if you search the name of the recipe, you can find a bunch of different versions that all look pretty much the same. This one is from Words Mean Things, and I guess it's the one Stephanie follows as well. You mash tofu and bell pepper and mushroom and many other things. Those are the ones that I remember. And then you make them into kind of ball-shaped. I'm listening. bake them. Oh, you looked like you were very it sounds, questioning it. It sounds like that, a different recipe that I'm oh. I'm not, con- like a chicken and sausage. <laughs> right? That's the whole... Well, except there's no chicken or sausage. No, no, no. I, that's what I mean is like, this is a, this is... Oh yeah, it's like I mean it's a meatball without the meat. You're using tofu as kind of the right the main the main business. And then there's a sweet and sour sauce that you pour over the top. Of the oh, thing. okay. That's delicious. Uh, we served it over rice, and I think I had broccoli on the side, something like that. I think the sauce was definitely the winner there. the The jewels themselves were they were fine. I'm not a huge pepper fan. So that was sort of distracting to me. And it it called for green peppers. I switched it out for yellow because, again, not a huge pepper fan. I thought the yellow would be a little more mild and less distracting. That's what triggered me is it's unusual in my line of cooking to put peppers into a meatball. Because my yeah. Sicilian grandfather was like, there's no faster way to ruin a... <laughs> Fair. And so sometimes when oh, I... Oh, water s- chestnuts were in there too. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, I love that idea. Yeah. So. And there's there's so many things in there. And I guess, yeah, you could do more chestnuts and less pepper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so you got a lot of lot of things going on in there and the sauce was great. It was a lot of chopping. If I hadn't lost my attachments for my food processor, I'd probably use that to chop things up. I guess I wouldn't... I guess I could just pull it out. Yeah. If I... Yeah. You can reorder new attachments. I mean, then I also would have to pull out the food processor and... Use it? And use it, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And I don't think I, I fully comprehended how much chopping there was going to be once I got started. But over, I mean, but other than that, it's just, it's like making meatballs, right? It's just throwing things in a bowl and mixing them together. They were a little bit falling apart as you tried to shift them from... Because there's no egg in it to yeah, hold it there's together? No, there's nothing that would super binding it but they they bake for long enough that they get pretty compact kind of the water all comes out of the tofu and yeah and the sauce was definitely a hit so i would definitely do that part again but overall very tasty and and people ate them so excellent call that a win and then i kind of went back on a simply julia kick 
which it's it has been a while since I've used that book. And I went back in there and I was like, these are great recipes. Why have I not been using them? So I did the eggplant and meatballs to start. And that one I used um, like beyond ground meat, beyond meat, some plant-based meat thing to make the meatballs. Super simple. I mean, it's eggplant and the, the meatballs. So that was delightful. And then you just bake it all off and serve it. And it was delicious. The lentil and kale stew was really good. The only thing that was weird about that is that she has you cook it, both of the lentil and the kales together, for like an hour and a half. Which, in my mind, the whole point of lentils is that they're pretty fast compared to, say, regular beans. It, and I, Beluga lentils, or were they a different color? Because the think, the quick ones, the green and the orange I think ones, green. they're quicker, I feel, but the yeah. beluga ones do benefit from more time in the broth. Hmm. So, and, I, and it was, so, and as I was reading the instructions, it seemed to be a very low and slow, mm. almost like braising, yeah, mm-hmm. to get it to be more stew-like, not a soup, probably to get them to break down more. So if I do it again, which I, I mean, there wasn't too much more to it than the, the lentil and the kales and the broth, I might, in fact, remember to set aside enough time because it's just on the stove. It's not like you're doing anything to it, but just remembering that it does need that extra time and see how that works. And then I did saute some actual sausage on the side for my children, but that was good as well. And the sausage was appreciated by my children. (laughs) Then I decided I just wanted to make a meat recipe. Gosh, darn it. (laughs) So she has a chicken Reuben skillet. Did you like this one? Uh Yeah, this was so good. Boy 2 was the only one, only child home that night, and he loves a Reuben. So I was like, well, let me try this. So it's sautéed chicken breast, and you add sauerkraut, and basically a Russian dressing kind of thing, and top the whole thing with cheese, and throw it in the oven. And then it's just, it's delicious. It is total comfort. It was so good. And I don't think of myself as loving sauerkraut. But I think the baking and the cheese and the sauce just really kind of mellows it all out. And it just adds this nice perk of flavor. One of her suggestions was to serve it over a baked potato. So I thought, oh, that's great. Then I can just bake off some potatoes for all of us. And my husband can have a baked potato with just maybe sauerkraut and cheese, which would have worked better if I had remembered to save some of the sauerkraut for him (laughs) before I dumped it on the chicken. I did try and like take a little bit off the top that hadn't actually touched the chicken yet. So I ne- I will need to work on that plan. And I think I actually wrote a note in the cookbook, like remember to save some stuff for Simon because I think, that, I mean, I, that makes just on its own with the cheese and whatnot, a pretty good topping. So yeah, so that was, that was really good. And we, and since there were only two of us eating that the first night, we did have some leftovers, which I, I had for lunch the next day, which was excellent. Delightful. Yeah. Yeah. So that was good. Yeah, I'd forgotten how, like, really awesome those recipes are. Such a solid cookbook. Yeah. And I think because they have so much flavor and they end up so amazing, like, they must be complicated. Probably making the um, Grace's chicken, like, every other week. Yeah. I made that last night and my big kid came in the kitchen. He's like, yes, that's my favorite chicken. Oh. Even though we've had it, it when like, they do that. literally every other week. So, yeah, that was good. How about you? Okay. We're in season for our boys And so last week and tonight... Wrestling season. Wrestling season. We are cooking for team dinner. Mm. So last week I made... I was on protein and I did pulled chicken. Mm -hmm. And I braised a crazy amount of chicken the night before Mm. or the day before actually. And then pulled it all apart and then continued to slow do you do cook it, it in the oven or a slow cooker. Or? I did it in my Dutch oven because my it's big. It's the biggest pot I've yeah. got, and it was actually faster than the slow cooker. Well, faster yeah. than my crock pot. It doesn't seem to make as much condensation as the crock pot does, so mm-hmm. I'm cool with it. Okay, this is like a self recipe. I do season everything really well while it's braising, and then season it all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, before I add barbecue sauce or anything like that. And it does, I do put in a pretty good glug of cider vinegar. Mm. And I think it just, that makes everything. So monster batch of pulled chicken for the team. And then we we served them with those tiny Hawaiian rolls oh, that yeah. everybody loves. Yeah. That 
some kids took and some kids didn't because they are pretty careful about how they eat, especially before a match. Tonight we're on vegetables and so I'm oven roasting Brussels sprouts with a little bit of pancetta and I'm doing garlic butter and orange zest green beans, Mm. which I made last week just for us and they were so good. The orange zest is kind of fun because normally you would expect lemon, but I put a ton of garlic in and it was just awesome flavor. And the green beans are really good here right now. So we have an asparagus recipe that has, I think, lemon and orange zest. And that orange zest is just yeah. Game changer. It's cara cara season and yeah. I have tons of, of oranges. So I just grabbed that and yeah. used it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, I'm, br- I'm brilliant. Idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to steal that. And then I have done all of my, this is a person on a personal note, I've done all of my annual stuff. And one thing, one great takeaway from my doctor was that I could benefit from a little more fiber. And I feel like Probably most people could. And of course, vegetables are a great answer, but I have really backed off my oatmeal consumption. Mm. And so I'm trying to inject that back in. And now in the coming weeks, you're going to hear me talk a lot about oatmeal. (laughs) And some will be successful and some will not. I tried to make these oat biscuits just that we could have with a little bit of cheese or... Mm. You know, just a little extra fiber, basically. You could feed these to livestock. They were so hard. Take them on a sea voyage. Yeah. And I tried to make them wonderful. There's honey in them. There's not much fat at all. Basically, the honey holds it all together. Mm. They were rock hard. They were just not successful and they sat on the counter sadly in like a little cookie box Aww. and every time somebody walked past like are these edible still no <laughs> it's just no uh so That's onwards i will keep trying for those so was that your own recipe no it was from how to bake everything oh. and it was just an oat biscuit huh. you know Interesting. But it only called for, it had a lot of oats in it and not much honey Mm. and not much fat and not much salt, you know, Hmm. quite healthy. It's definitely fiberful. Yeah, but if you can't eat it, that's not really helpful. No. I did make the spiced beef recipe from Tuesday nights. I actually did it with ground turkey Mm. and served it over rice with with the garlicky green beans. And that was very excellent. I had a lot left over and I thought I was going to make some little empanadas with the extras, but then they devoured the extras. So there went that. But what I really am so excited to tell you about is that... And you've been sitting on this story for two weeks. (laughs) I know. On Instagram... I have a friend in Colorado. Her name is Natalie Carrasco. She goes by Avo Inc. And I really adore her art. And she and I connect on little things now and again. And it's it's a super fun internet friendship. And she recommended a podcast to me called Sporkful. Have you heard of Sporkful? Okay. This I am super new to this this podcast. And she said Go straight for the Mission Impossible episode and start at number one. So I was painting in the studio. I put on episode one and I listened to three episodes of this guy. And I don't even know, I don't know anything about him, but he has legit (laughs) podcast chops. He's been doing this a while. He's definitely a food writer of some renown. Apologies, guy. I don't know who you are, (laughs) but I'm here for it. And I've only listened to the first bunch of these. Mm -hmm. His name is Dan Pashman, and he decided that there was a gap in the pasta world, like a, a, a shape gap. And he felt like spaghetti doesn't cut it. And he wanted to make his own pasta shape that met his needs, okay? <laughs> okay? And and I don't mean just like pasta at home. Like he wanted real pasta 
manufactured for him to sell, you know, he wanted like 5,000 pounds of pasta. Okay. So he sets out on this journey to make the perfect new pasta shape. And this is the first episode. This is the first episode. So there's, there's going to be a little spoiler here. It's fine. It's okay, people. This is not Louise Penny. And so he wants it to be forkable and hold sauce, sauceability, mm-hmm. and and be really wonderful tasting and toothsome, you know, the, like the right texture in the mouth. Oh my gosh, this is so amazing to for our house for so many different reasons. Mm-hmm. We've kind of stopped using spaghetti when my father-in-law is around because mm-hmm. he, he has some fine motor issues and he can't manage spaghetti anymore. Right. He can't manage rice, soup, that kind of thing. And so when I'm choosing pasta for when Papa Bill is with us, it has to be forkable. Yeah. So that already I'm hooked. And then, you know, will the sauce cling to it? Will it, you know, like all hold together? Very important key part of pasta that angel hair just fails miserably at, you know. Mm -hmm. And then the toothsome side of it is a shape that I used to like, which was like more of like a trumpet shape. Mm, Um, Yeah, yeah. The outside cooks faster than the tighter inner part, and that really bugs me. And so I've been using Fusilli Corti Bucatini or whatever, which is a Bucatini that's in a coil. Oh, goodness. Okay. And it's a DiCecco brand one, and that's been great for Papa Bill. And I like it. Anyway, so... I'm hooked on this episode because I, too, have been searching for just the right pasta shape. And the timing is amazing. The story, though, is great because it involves all of the different levels. Do we need a bronze dye or can they use the Teflon ones that, you know, Kraft Macaroni uses? The bronze dye puts texture in the pasta, uh, which makes the sauceability factor. <laughs> you can see he goes so really in-depth yeah. here. Well, I don't know how we get there yet because I haven't listened to all 10 or 11 episodes of the Mission Impossible. Oh, there's 10 episodes just on? Just on this one wow. shape story. Okay. But... You can buy the pasta now. I guess it turns out okay. It then. turns out okay. And I bought <laughs> four pounds of it. Oh my gosh. And the what new does it look like. The new shape is it's a short shape pasta. My husband compared it to like a shrimp. Oh. So it's it's got a curve, it's got ridges, it's got ruffles, it cooks evenly all the way around. Yeah. And it really does allow sauce to cling to it in a lot of different places. It looks kind of like a like a fiddlehead fern. Yes. Like when it's sort of still curled up. Exactly. But not entirely coming apart. Yeah. So oh, that looks awesome. And but what I also love is that this manufacturer, the pasta manufacturer that he found, Folini, is in upstate New York and they do like artesian pasta. Nice. So now it's there's a new pasta company that I never would have heard of. So win, 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 win. Yeah. And I'm so excited to get my four pounds of cascatelli and... Did you order anything else or just that? I didn't because I wanted to taste this one first. (laughs) And my household thinks I'm absolutely bonkers right now. You're buying pasta. How how crazy is that? I mean... Well, it's a little pricier than your average pound of pasta. Sure. But But I'm here for it. Artisanal. And I I really wish that your household wasn't uh, half gluten-free. Well, half of us would definitely (laughs) enjoy that. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to hook you up. Yeah. So that is a huge recommendation from me. It was super entertaining. And I'm glad I'm feeling better after my booster. And this week can continue with with the story. And hear how it all comes together. Because so I know I haven't it's, actually tried the pasta yet. I haven't okay. tried it. I have tried to get it from Byright and a couple other shops in town. Whole Foods does carry the Sfolini line. Uh, so you okay. can get oh, okay. you can get their pasta around town. So that is what is 
on the table and definitely on my mind. Like I was so a crazy exciting. lady looking for this pasta. You, you texted me like right after we yeah. recorded last time. Did I talk about this? Oh my gosh. I think it must have been Natalie who had told me, yeah. oh, check out this new pasta. Because there, there's certain people that I talk about food with a lot. And obviously you are chief among them. Yes. So, But pasta is a less likely yeah, discussion. Yeah. yeah. Anyhow. Anyhow. On the nightstand. How many books, how many thousand books do you have for us this week? One, two, three, four, five, six. Ooh, it's a light week for you. And I listened to Hamnet, but we both read it and we've talked about it, so I don't feel like I need to read okay. it again. That was for um, our my book club, so that was why I listened to it, which was actually, I can talk about that part, because I read it, read it the first time, and so I decided to listen to it because I had all these other new books that I wanted to to who read. Na- who narrates it? Somebody with a really nice British accent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it was really interesting because her writing is just so fluid. And I had to really try and pay attention because you could just get lost in the rhythm of the words and not really listen to what she was actually saying. It was a really nice way to experience that book. And it was probably the first book club we've had where everyone really liked it. And we still had a really good discussion. There was a lot yeah. we found to talk about. And everyone kind of liked a lot of different things about it and felt like the discussion deepened their enjoyment and understanding and brought new things to their their experience of the book. So that was that was fun. Um, so I'm glad that that one we discussed. It's such a good book. Yeah. Yeah, it is such a good book. And it is a mixed group. There are there are guys and gals in that book and everybody liked it, which I think I would have definitely pegged it as more a girl book, but apparently not. So the first book that I read was Feral Creatures by Kara Jane Buxton. This is the second book in I don't know if it's gonna be a series or this is just a a duo. First one was Hollow Kingdom. Um and in that one our hero is a crow named S.T. A plague has wiped out humanity and turned survivors into zombies. (laughs) (laughs) So all that's left is animals. So S.T. and his sidekick, the bloodhound, set off on a mission to release house pets that are trapped in the houses because their owners have died and they can't get out. And then they end up on another quest and S.T. is just hilarious. He's a crow. He's super snarky. He loves human culture. He thinks Cheetos are the greatest invention ever. The first one I really, really enjoyed. And this one kind of continues in the same vein. ST is in Alaska for a while, and then something happens. He has to come back to Seattle. So he reunites with former friends, and there's another chance to save the world. I think this one I didn't like quite as much, sort of the the whimsy and new premise that happened in the first book. It's, you know, it's the second book, so it's like, yeah, 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 we get that. But lots of wonderful found family themes and, you know, being yourself and being true to yourself and and then some adventure and, and saving the world, which I always, always enjoy. I definitely like like these two books. And then Daughter of the Deep by Rick Reardon, which is his new series. So it is a, I guess, middle grade. I think I would call it young adult, although the kids are in high school. So it is kind of a riff on 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea by Jules Verne. Anna is a freshman at the Harding Pencroft Academy, which is a high school for all the marine sciences. As a freshman, it's the end of the year. The whole class is going to go off for a weekend to do maneuvers on the school ship. And it's kind of a test and uh, to make sure you can pass and be a sophomore. On their way there, something big and tragic happens and adventures, you know, begin to go. It's a Rick Reardon book. Um, So less fantasy, like Greek gods and myths and whatnot, uh, more sci-fi because of the 20,000 Leagues Jules Verne tie-in. We once listened to that on audiobook as a family. Uh 20,000 Leagues, yeah. And it was just so much fun. So this was good. I mean, Rick Reardon is great. He does awesome things with inclusion. Yeah. His main character is a girl of Indian ancestry and all the other kids have, you know, a wide variety of races and ethnicities and neurodivergencies and it's really fabulous. It was, I think the realism actually made it less enjoyable for me. 
<laughs> I like, um, and the last series he did the Trials of Apollo, super snarky, which I love. So this one was less, there was definitely some humor, but so, so not my favorite series, but still really good. Classic Rick Reardon would definitely recommend if, you know, you've got a kid that, that likes that genre. Yeah. And likes the adventures. And then When Sorrows Come by Shauna McGuire, I have finished the October Day series until September when the new one comes out. <laughs> this one features Toby's wedding, so it was awesome. Of course, there was also many shenanigans and another palace coup attempt. Um, she also has a wedding dress that is apparently much like your white carpet in that it is totally stain resistant. And so <laughs> when she has to battle in her wedding dress, she does not get blood on it. Very exciting. It was delightful. Um, the whole... the. I mean, the wedding thing was really great. The other parts are great. I just, yeah, such a good series. And now I have to wait till September. And so do you to hear about it. And the, the one coming out in September is number 16, which is every four books, we get some big revelation. So now I can actually kind of read social media posts, of kind of guessing what the big revelation is. And I have some guesses of my own. Very exciting stuff. So I'm glad I got that. All excellent. Read. Yep. Two romances. The first is One to Watch by Kate Stamen London. B. Schumacher is a very successful plus-sized fashion blogger. And one night she sits down and writes a rant about her favorite reality dating show and their lack of diversity. And it goes viral. The show responds by inviting her to be the next Bachelorette. It's not what the show is called in the book, but it's basically what it is. She ends up agreeing. She thinks, you know, it's a good chance to represent larger women and it would be good for her career and maybe it will also help her get over her ex-best friend slash one night stand. So she goes on the show, shenanigans ensue, and she does end up with her happily ever after, which was great. Although because it was a dating show, I never was really quite sure who she was going to end up with, which is kind of different from most romances. Usually it's really obvious. It's like this girl, this guy. Or whatever, depending yeah. on the <laughs> the type of book it is. But this one, you were kind of you didn't know, and then the the ex best friend is still in play. It was great, and I am not a fan of the dating shows. I do watch reality TV, right? I love the cooking ones and Great British, and you know all those. But dating shows, I've never been super in. But this reading this, I was like, oh, maybe this would be interesting. So I think she did a good job with that. There's exciting locations. They go to Morocco and France and. New York City and, you know, get to go to have fabulous experiences and whatnot. So that's always fun to read about. And she's in fashion and the show is all about looking glamorous. So there's lots of great fashion discussions. Uh, so this really sounds fun. like it will be, if done well, would be a really cute movie. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 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 It was it very, has... I mean, it, it is, it's about a TV show, so it's obviously very cinematic yeah. and... Yeah, and, and it was also hard, right? Like, she goes into her emotions of being a plus-size woman and what that means to her, and she is confident, but she also controls the narrative, and people yeah. say things, and sometimes they do mean to be hurtful, and sometimes they don't, but that doesn't mean it doesn't still hurt what they say, and, and she really goes into all of that. So it was a tough read, but also delightful, and she does end up with her Prince Charming, so as a good romance must so that was fun. And then All the Feels by Olivia Dade, which is the second one in her universe. Um, it kind of takes place as the first at the same time as her first, her previous book. Um, so you can read them really in either order. Alex is a TV star. He's been starring in a show for the past seven seasons. It's wildly successful. It's the final season and he gets in a bar fight and his boss decides that he is out of control and needs a minder. So someone is going to be with him anytime he is out in public to make sure he doesn't get in any more trouble. So Lauren is the cousin of this boss. She is an emergency services clinician. So she works in an ER with people that have mental health issues and kind of finds them services or gets them what they need. Um, but she's been doing this for a while. She's a little burnt out and she's going to take a vacation when her cousin says, hey, can you do this job for me? And she agrees kind of for the money and it will give her a little more time to think about what she wants to do next. So obviously shenanigans ensue. There's working in Spain, there's coming back to LA 
after the shooting is done, there's a road trip up the coast to the Redwoods. And it was it was a really interesting one because neither of them are sort of traditional romance characters for various reasons. And they actually start off being real. I guess it's kind of a friends to lovers trope for the for the books. So they end up being friends. They have good conversations, and then there are things that they don't get quite right. So then there's there's trouble. But both of them, I felt like, were really multidimensional characters. Like they, like people are right. You can be very confident in one area of your life, and then be completely unconfident in another, and that yeah. doesn't negate your confidence in in that first area. And they were both like that. So it just made them feel really real and relatable. Really, I like that that book as well. And I'm looking forward to reading whatever she comes up with next. Uh, and then finally, The Sentence by Louise Erdrich, her most recent one. If you are not ready for a book about the pandemic... I'm not ready for a book yeah. about the pandemic. <laughs> this one was a little bit trickier than I thought it would be, but still really good, I think, when you're ready for it definitely check it out. It takes place between November 2019 and November 2020. So the full whole year. Tuki is our narrator and she is, she works in a bookshop, actually Louise's bookshop. So it's kind of funny. She's made herself a very, very minor character. One of the regular customers has died and this is not COVID, it's pre-COVID, but she is now haunting the bookstore and Tuki specifically. You've got that going on, and then the pandemic hits. She really nails all of the stuff that was going on in the beginning, where we didn't know how it was transmitted or what was going on or you know how it was best to avoid it. And there's a scene where she's closing the bookstore, and she thinks, well, maybe we'll be closed for a month or two now. And yeah. you're like, ah, you know, all this hindsight stuff. And then the bookstore is in Minneapolis, so when George Floyd happens, they're right there. So there's all of that as well all of the family relationships, there's all the, the haunting is actually ties everything together. There's so much going on here. And books, all the books, she loves books. She works in a bookstore. There is at the end of the actual book, a whole reading guide to just a list of all of the books mentioned and some additional ones for additional reading about indigenous culture and Black Lives Matter and just Tuki's favorites and things that are mentioned and like perfect small novels. And so if you like books, it's definitely, it's a, it's a book lovers. Story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you have to be willing to get through the pandemic stuff as well. But yeah, I, I ended up, it was a little bit of a slow start. And then I think I read, I didn't do, I didn't do any knitting last night. I just was, I just wanted to finish this. And I think I got through like a half the book last night and those Excellent. are my books. Okay. How about you? I only have two books for you. Cool. Because I had a, I didn't finish one. I'm halfway through three books. Wow. Right now. You know it's not a competition. No, I know. <laughs> but just so you understand why I don't have as many as you. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody has as many books as me. That's right. I am. I am concerning. <laughs> I love it. I should not read that many. And you weren't, you weren't feeling well either. I wasn't feeling great. The didn't finish one. Just that. I hate that at the beginning of the year. I don't mm. mind in July. I don't know <laughs> why it bothers me that it happened in January. I don't know. I don't know. But I did finish The Family by Naomi Kropitsky. This is a new publication, fiction, about... Two friends who are kind of neighbors, too, in the same building in Brooklyn. And it opens, like, turn of the 20th century. Both of their fathers are in the family. And I'm doing air quotes at Monica because in this book, that means Italian mafia. And they never say that. They just call it the family the whole time. What is the, the stark difference between the girls as they're growing up? They're the same age pretty much. One girl's father goes missing and the other girl's father climbs the ranks of this family scenario. Therefore, one family is thriving and one family is broken. And the ramifications of this throughout their the rest of their lives and their bonds and their secrets. And so it's 
it's very closely tied to the two girls as they age. And it's, we do get different perspectives from each of them. And I like how that allows some intimacy with each character. And I was, I was pretty into this book. I wanted to know how it resolved and how they end up if their friendship remains intact and and it's, it's, there's a lot going on. It's kind of complicated. Mm. <laughs> it's also kind of fun for me because they are both of Sicilian origin and my family comes from Sicily. My family had come over earlier than that, but it's still, there were little things that like some of the food descriptions and phrasing that were, that felt a little bit nostalgic to me. So that's The Family by Naomi Kropitsky. Then I read Olga. Hmm. Olga is by Bernard Schlink. And this is like a portrait painting of this German girl as she, like her entire life from the turn of the 20th, same time period, turn of the 20th century onwards, she is in Germany And she is of Jewish origin and her parents, she's orphaned pretty young and she goes to live with her grandmother. And then she's in kind of like, not really boarding school, but she works her, she works really hard to get herself educated in a time when they were kind of turning away girls and particularly anyone Jewish. And so she kind of had to fight for her place for an education and she becomes a teacher and then the the main branch of the story is her relationship with a well-to-do family in her town. When she's a child, she befriends a brother and sister and how their relationships change as time goes on. A lot of this has to do with class and religion and the boy of that family, Herbert, is conscripted to colonize a portion of Africa. I'm forgetting which area because it wasn't, it was what they called it then, like Mm -hmm. historically. And he falls in love with the desert landscape and he's writing to her about this, the great expanse. And at the end of the book, the translator was talking about how to convey the language that Schlink uses in German in a way that was meaningful and cinematic almost for an English reader. And I loved I meant to make note of the translator, but that this is just such a beautiful book, such beautiful writing. And I think a lot of that has to do with this particular translator. I think she was really deliberate and careful about word choice. Herbert is a boundless adventurer. Like he just wants to explore. And so when he comes back from their colonial pursuits in Africa, he decides he's going to drum up some money and go explore the Arctic. And so... (laughs) As one does. Well, it was like 1913. Yeah. You know, it was right before World War I. And that was really what adventuresome young men in Scandinavia and Northern Europe were doing. They were like, South Pole, North Pole, let's do this thing. So he tries to put together this expedition and she never, she doesn't hear from him. And she keeps writing letters to his postal address in Norway, the last point, you know, before he crosses ice or whatever. And the rest of the story is told from other people's perspectives, like a boy that she teaches, and then through later on through letters that of hers that are part of her estate and before they get rid of them. And it is just such a compelling way to tell the story. You think that she's just this quiet woman who lived an ordinary life, and really it's just this really beautiful very cinematic portrait of her of her whole life and everything that she saw she lived through two world wars and you know oh, oh my gosh i thought it was excellent Sounds such really a great book olga okay is it a new book i think so i think i want to say 2019 but it might okay. be a little bit more recent than that even and it's a translation and it's a translation beautifully done translation cool yeah Excellent. 
All right, well, I think that's it for us. Just a nice regular chat. So until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.